The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to this podcast for the American Journal of Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. I'm Yvonne Jansen Heininger. I'm a professor of pathology at the University of Vermont. I'm also an associate editor for the Red Journal, and this afternoon we will be addressing a new series in the Red Journal on the topics that covers obesity and lung diseases. The prevalence of obesity is increasing, and this is affecting large populations of patients both in the U.S. and worldwide. So this raises a number of serious questions about implications for disease severity, treatment options, but also cellular and molecular processes that may be affected and ought to be studied. So I will be discussing this topic with Drs. Ben Surratt and Ann Dixon at the University of Vermont. Dr. Ben Surratt is Professor of Medicine as well as Cell and Molecular Biology. He's also Associate Chief of Pulmonary Disease and Critical Care Medicine. The other person who is here with us this afternoon is Dr. Ann Dixon, also a Professor of Medicine and Director of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine, also at the University of Vermont. And the reason that I'll be discussing this with Dr. Surratt and Dixon is that they have been thinking about this topic for quite some time now, given that they have been the hosts of three conferences on the topic of obesity and lung disease. So starting with Dr. Dixon, I was wondering if you could give us a perspective about the scope of the problem of obesity and lung disease. Can you, for instance, tell us how many patients are affected in the U.S. and what are some of the projections? Yes, of course. Well, I think most people are aware that obesity is becoming a major health problem in the United States. More than a third of the U.S. adult population, that's nearly 80 million people, are obese. But actually, this is not just a U.S. problem. It's becoming a worldwide problem. There are some countries where the prevalence of obesity is in excess of 50% in adults. And I think those of us who study lung disease have not traditionally thought about obesity. But emerging data over the last 15 or 16 years show it's having a catastrophic effect on lung health. The best data we have for this is pertaining to asthma. It's thought that about 250,000 new cases of asthma per year in the United States are related directly to obesity. And to put that in perspective, there was some recent data published by the CDC in, in March of 2016, where they described the prevalence of asthma in women with a BMI of 30 or more as nearly 15%. So 15% of obese women have asthma, which is nearly double that in lean population. So there's a very high prevalence of asthma um, in the obese. And actually about 60% of patients with severe asthma are obese. So it's really having a catastrophic effect on lung health. And so I would expect that these numbers are only increasing. Do you have a sense of what the projections might be, Dr. Dixon? Well, there has been some leveling off of the rate of increase in obesity in the United States, but it's not that the obesity is reversing. So this is only going to get more prevalent and more common. And I think this is just dramatically changing the epidemiology of lung disease. So just to switch to you, Dr. Surratt, what does obesity mean for care of patients with lung diseases? What are the sorts of patient populations that are affected? Well, Yvonne, basically all populations of patients are affected. And as Dr. Dixon has already described, this is a rapidly worsening problem that affects many patients. And what's new in some ways for those of us in pulmonary critical care is that this is no longer really something that we think of in, the, in terms of cardiovascular disease or endocrinologic disease. But now we're beginning to see that this, in fact, affects all aspects of physiology in the body and all aspects of disease. 
It affects how diseases present, the incidence of the of disease presentation, the symptoms and signs of presentation. Uh, certainly presents a dramatic change in the way many of the diseases we take care of behave, how they respond to therapy, and their outcomes. Uh, as an example, whether you're looking at asthma or pneumonia or many of the different diseases we see, particularly in the ICU, including ARDS and acute kidney injury, obesity has recently been shown to change the incidence of many of these diseases, such as increasing risk of ARDS or acute kidney injury, and yet change the outcomes of these diseases. In the case of critical illness, obesity has been shown to actually have protective effect in a number of series. And it's, it means that when we, when we see patients in a population where there, there are a significant number of obese individuals, we have to anticipate that that is another factor that's going to influence how these diseases present and how they progress and how they respond to therapy. Those are impressive comments. So, Dr. Dixon, perhaps you can speak a bit more to what, when we think about asthma, we think about bronchodilators, we think about steroid treatment. Do you have a sense of how obesity affects the response to therapy in those patients? We do, actually. There have been a lot of publications that have addressed that. And in asthma, we know that obese patients are less responsive to standard control of therapy. That's been shown for inhaled corticosteroids and combination therapy with inhaled corticosteroids and long-acting beta agonists. And some of this is likely related to the fact that the pathophysiology of disease is altered in obesity. And we're really sort of not addressing the pathogenic targets that are mediating disease in these patients. It's not just that, though. We know that the asthmatics have impaired responses to glucocorticoids at the, at the cellular level as well. So even the drugs that we're targeting towards typical pathways in asthma just don't seem to be as effective in obese patients. And it's worth thinking about that all of these drugs that we use were really developed prior to the current era of obesity. And it's not just that, but even the studies that we're doing now, we tend to exclude patients with morbid obesity, which means we don't know how to treat a sizable segment of our population. That sounds like a real issue to me. So now that we have talked a little bit about the uh, clinical perspective, now this series that we're talking about is published in the Red Journal, which addresses, of course, the cellular molecular processes that affect pulmonary disease. So now we have this new fact of obesity in the equation. So my question to you, Dr. Surratt, is how can researchers study the impact of obesity in settings of preclinical models? Think about cell cultures. Think about some of the rodent models that we have. How do you begin to tackle this question? Well, so that's an excellent question and a difficult one to answer. The I think the, the most important thing to understand is that, unfortunately, there are no great models, there are no perfect models, I should say, of human obesity. And so we're left with a number of different approaches, some of which are, uh, I, I would say, close to approximating some of the aspects of obesity that we witness in human biology and others that uh, may not. At this point, one of the major approaches that I use, a number of my colleagues use, uh, would be animal modeling, and thus we use obese mice. There are a variety of models of obesity that are available in mouse models, including genetic models, which are some of the, the really early studies of obesity in mice were uh, on genetically, well, some uh, spontaneously mutant mice, uh, DB mice and OB-OB mice. Uh, and more recently, a lot more work has been done on diet-induced uh, forms of obesity using uh, mice. And these studies are, are very useful in 
terms of looking at certain aspects of obesity and the general milieu of obesity and the metabolic syndrome. But uh, as with all models, particularly animal models of human disease, there are a number of limitations. When it comes to in vitro work, this becomes even more complicated in as much as it's very hard to model the metabolic milieu uh, of, of obesity, and particularly in light of what we're beginning to understand about the diffuse nature of the, the networks involved in signaling in obesity. You know, whereas, for as example, uh, when we talk about leptin as, a, as an adipokine or a signal from uh, adipose tissue to the brain um, as a satiety signal, you know, in the late 90s when leptin was discovered, this was thought to be the major role of leptin was as a, a satiety signal. Now we're all beginning to, to realize that leptin, for instance, has a much more profound role in terms of communicating the met metabolic state to all constituents of the body's tissues, including leukocytes and uh, everything else, such that it's more of a communicator of energy status. And so modeling that in, in vitro is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, and you just mentioned leptin, but I would imagine that in the context of obesity, there are so many other factors, including the fats themselves. So this is a big challenge for researchers, clearly. Well, how do you begin to pick this apart? Where do you start? Well, so certainly one of the things that many of us have focused on is how one can actually model aspects, individual facets of obesity and the metabolic syndrome, and with, certainly with a focus on the elements of the metabolic syndrome, which include glucose intolerance, dyslipidemia, adipokine disarray. These are all things that with careful modeling really can be to some degree isolated and examined separate from the rest of obesity and the metabolic syndrome. There are, for instance, diets that you can use in mouse models that will model only the hypercholesterolemia and dyslipidemia of obesity in which the mice do not gain weight, do not become diabetic. And these tools have been used to some uh, success to examine exactly what role something like hypercholesterolemia would have in the, mil the general milieu of metabolic syndrome. And we find that in many cases, there are significant effects of these individual elements, whether it's diabetes or hypercholesterolemia. And they may, in fact, have effects that are, that are counter to each other. And when we see obesity and the metabolic syndrome together in an individual or in an animal, what we're seeing is really a conflict influence of a variety of processes uh, that then sum to what we recognize as obesity and the metabolic syndrome. So moving forward, developing more of these models and being, I think, consistent with how we do these studies is going to be critically important for us to truly understand what we see when we see the obesity and the metabolic syndrome. To follow up on that point, Dr. Surratt, I was curious, Dr. Dixon, about what is known about some of the cellular processes that are known to be affected by some of these factors that are relevant to obesity and how they might impact pathogenesis of lung diseases. Yeah, I, th I think that's an excellent question, and it takes off very much of what Dr. Surratt just sort of alluded to, which obesity really affects all biologic function. So in the series, I know there's an excellent paper published by uh, Drs. Fesler and Summer where they talk about how altered cholesterol and lipid metabolism in obesity could affect surfactant function in the lung. So that's obviously going to lead to profound changes in physiology. Um, it can affect surfactant function, perhaps, causes profound changes in pulmonary host defense, uh, which then can have myriad effects in lung disease. So obesity is changing cholesterol and lipid metabolism. Obesity can actually alter cellular metabolism. This, this is well recognized by people who study uh, liver and cardiac disease. It can cause profound changes in mitochondrial respiration, for example. 
And cellular metabolism can regulate a whole host of basic cellular functions, which is pertinent to immune function, certainly, but is pertinent to every cell type in the lung. Another paper in this series by Dr. Shaw reviews how obesity is associated with profound changes in the gut microbiome. You know, why is this relevant for lung disease? Well, if you alter the bacteria, they produce metabolites, which might have direct effects on the lung and can certainly have effects on immune cell development and immune cell function. Adipose tissue produces a number of circulating mediators. A lot has been written about the adipokine, other mediators such as TNF and IL-6. Many of these mediators might be having direct effects on the cells of the lung. And I, I think the take-home message really is, is that obesity is a fairly broad term and, and broad concept, uh, which can t- change the biology of the entire host. Yeah, this is so interesting, Dr. Dixon. In particular, we've heard a lot recently about the microbiome, and yet here there's another dimension under which to study implications of modulation of the of the microbiome. Absolutely right. And, you know, Dr. Surratt talked about changes in diet. Well, even if the diet doesn't directly cause sort of insulin resistance, altered diet can certainly change the microbiome, which then can change circulating metabolites, which can have effects on immune function and can have effects on, on the lung. Yeah, very, very interesting. So, Dr. Surratt, what do you think some of the real opportunities for us in the research environment, cell and molecular environment, are in terms of advancing research in obesity-associated processes? Well, I think given that this is, is really a nascent field, I, you know, Anne and I have now put forth three every other year conferences, and yet I think we're barely scratching the surface of, of the topic when it comes to obesity and the lung. I think that there are tremendous opportunities because the field still is very early uh, in its evolution, but also because the impact of this kind of research is huge. I mean, if we look at just one example, the, the H1N1 epidemic, where what we found was that the patients who were most severely affected by H1N1 and, in fact, at the greatest risk for severe disease and death, many of them were obese. And, in fact, this is the first time that CDC is recognized as a risk factor for infectious disease in this context, obesity. That alone affected many of us in clinical care, uh, both in the clinics and in the ICU. And understanding how obesity may make individuals more susceptible to severe H1N1 and the pathogenesis of that is going to be key, not only in terms of understanding how we could treat these patients differently in order to help them survive, but also in terms of using it as a measure or many measures to be able to recognize people at risk. So I think just using that as one example, there are many opportunities with this line of research. And I think, as I say, we're early in it yet, particularly given the fact that there are many different disciplines that come together in examining this question, not only metabolism and immunology. There are sleep. Medicine is huge when we talk about the effects of obesity. And I think we're only going to see this really permeate into all of the areas of pulmonary and critical care research in the coming decade. Yeah, so you raised a really important point, Dr. Surratt, that patients at risk for disease development need to be identified. So I want to ask you, therefore, Dr. Dixon, are there certain biomarkers, in your opinion, that can be used to identify those obese patients at risk for exacerbations, for instance? And I was also wondering whether you might comment on how some of the cellular preclinical studies can be used to perhaps identify and develop some of those biomarkers. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think one of the very important limitations of a lot of the work today, particularly in humans, and I've certainly been guilty of this, is that we naively use body mass index as a measure of obesity. 
And I was actually taken to class this week by an individual who points out that although his BMI was 31, he was an athlete, he ran and lifted his weights and, and had no lung problems. It's not really BMI that we're necessarily so interested in. I think we need to start thinking about measuring markers of metabolic dysfunction. And when I talk about metabolic dysfunction, I think we need to do this at two different levels. I think we need to look at circulating markers of metabolic dysfunction which we can you know, certainly easily do in humans. We can measure serum markers. But I think we might need to look at sort of cellular metabolic dysfunction, looking at what's going on in cellular metabolism in cells of the lung. And that obviously will be pretty difficult to do in humans. So preclinical models are going to be absolutely critical to try and sort that out. I think preclinical models are going to be very important to help us try and sort out what markers we need to be looking at pertinent to diet, microbiome, oxidative signaling, lipid metabolism, and neurologic function, and whether there are markers here that can help sort out who is at risk of exacerbation and who is at risk of developing lung disease relative to obesity. I think we've got to get beyond thinking about BMI as synonymous with lung dysfunction in obesity. It's much more complicated than that. That's so interesting. So if I can ask an additional question and maybe a last question, if you both had to phrase some goals for the research community over the next five years, what would some of those goals be? Dr. Surratt. Well, you know, I think that right now, one of the major goals for the research community vis-a-vis obesity and metabolic syndrome and its effects on lung disease would be to really raise the profile of this area of research. I think one of the unfortunate things about obesity in general and in particular in our field has been akin to what we saw with COPD several decades ago in as much as, you know, COPD research, at least to my estimation, lagged by behind other fields of research in part uh, initially because of the the kind of pejorative that went with having COPD. These were smokers that, you know, and this was somehow something that people had brought upon themselves. And I think a lot of the focus initially on smoking really was in cessation, which of course is critically important, but ultimately we're all dealing with the downstream effects of significant cigarette smoke exposure and all of the diseases that come with it. And so we can't simply have as our approach smoking cessation in terms of taking care of these people. And I think the same thing applies to obesity. While I think it's important that we focus on preventing obesity and treating obesity in our society, I think we have to recognize that Obesity is something that is going to continue to be a, an increasing factor in, in our patients' lives and, and how we take care of them. And so I think that we need to really raise the discussion about how we're going to look at obesity and research. And I think we need to get NIH's support in this. I think that this is a, a really an important, a critical time for us to transition from thinking of obesity uh, not only as, as a vascular disease or a, a, an endocrine disease, but as a, as a global disease modifier and not as a pejorative or not as a disease that is, the solution is solely to tell people to lose weight. I think we need to address the this in all of its facets. And I think that that's, that's really the big challenge that I think we face as researchers at this moment. Thank you. Dr. Dixon. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we need to get beyond being judgmental and saying, oh, if a patient could only lose weight, their problem would go away. That's really not particularly helpful. I think any of those of us who care for patients will tell you most patients are trying very hard to lose weight. It's incredibly difficult thing to do. And to understand these patients have real disease. I'm hoping that the research community, particularly those of us who are doing clinical research, will realize that this is a different patient population. They're not just 
lean patients who are a little bigger, that biology, the pathophysiology is very, very different. I would hope that the pharma companies don't go on excluding obese patients from study, but actually look at this as an exciting opportunity. This is a whole new patient population out there that we need to be finding better ways of treating. And I think we need to get much more sophisticated and not think about BMI, but start thinking about what we mean by obesity. Is it diet? Is it the metabolic dysfunction? Is it the changes in lipids? Is it insulin resistance? Those of us who are working in lung disease, we need to get a much better understanding of some of the issues that those who've been dealing with metabolic diseases have been working on for many years. Well, thank you very much all for listening in on this podcast on the topic of obesity and lung disease. I hope that you've enjoyed this dialogue, and I certainly hope that you will take the opportunity to go look at the perspective series. We're going to have a number of additional perspectives coming out in addition to some research papers, and I hope to continue this dialogue in future podcasts as this research is maturing and progressing. So I want to say lastly, thank you very much, Dr. Dixon and Dr. Sir for covering this topic and thank you all for listening in.